from Relevant Magazine. It's the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, May 31st, 2013, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's episode is brought to you by our favorite coffee roaster based out of LA, Tonks Coffee. We are all drinking it now, mm. and we're going to warn you, uh, we might be hopped up on caffeine halfway <laughs> through the show. So <laughs> Beware. Uh, it's delicious. Now, listen, folks, great coffee actually has very little to do with fancy gadgets and expensive apparatuses. It's about the bean and the roast. Uh, the guys at Tonks are fanatical about delivering the best beans in the world. They uh, buy directly from the growers, roast it to perfection, and then they ship it to you within 24 hours, uh, getting it to you while it's still at its peak. Tonks is a bi-weekly subscription. It sends the beans right to your door. It's cheaper than going to, to Starbucks and other expensive places, uh, and, and it's a much, much better coffee experience we can attest right now. For relevant podcast listeners, they are giving you guys the opportunity to get a free sample of their delicious beans. Go over to tonks.org slash relevant. That's T-O-N-X dot org slash relevant. Get yourself a free sample. Get some for yourself. Maybe get some for, I don't know, a father. Why would uh, we do that? Uh, father's Day. For his day that's coming. <gasps> oh. Up. oh. For the day oh, of fathers. Man. The yeah. day of fathers. And uh, you can follow them on Twitter at Tonks Coffee. Okay, well, here with me in our Orlando studios, we're missing the very lovely Maya Strang still on her summer sabbatical. To her left, after uh, next to her empty chair, <laughs> in spirit, she's her sitting hypothetical. there. To to her to her empty chair's left, Tyler Huckabee. Hey guys, on the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, and over there on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer. Chad Michael Snavely. Hello, friends. So we have a great show for you today. Coming up later, we talk to pastor and author Jonathan Martin. He's a pastor of Renovatus, not not Renovatus. Right. Renovatus. A church in uh, Charlotte. The, the bio says he leads the liars, dreamers, and misfits at that church. Yeah, you can't wow. trust anyone so there. The, so the good people, they have another pastor for those. I was say, it sounds like a, like a pirate church. Yeah, I, I'm the, the good people go to Furtick's church down the road. Uh, so another, there's a youth pastor, young adults pastor, and the liar pastor. If you, if you get kicked out of Furtick's church, you go to, you go to Jonathan Martin's church. Small group of liars. Uh, he has a new book out called Prototype. And uh, he, he is very retweeted on Twitter, or at least the people it's I true. follow on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, they love them some Jonathan Martin tweets. Man. He's a great guy. I went to his church. A bunch of my buddies up in Charlotte go to his church, actually. And are, they, he, are they liars, dreamers, yeah, or misfits? That's why I'm friends with them. And, uh, <laughs> but I actually, are they really your friends, Chad? <laughs> no, I'm lying right now. Yeah, that's, that's why I went to his church one time. That's oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he visited. He's a phenomenal pastor, and I'm really glad that, it's, uh, that he's got a new book out. And so uh, Stephanie talked to him, and we're really excited about this. Also coming up later, we talked to Marnie Stern. Marnie is an artist that you've heard us recommend here on the podcast, um, and, and she has a great album out, and so we're excited to talk to her as well. She's, She's a monster guitar player. Whew. And also 
I mean, she's not like a monster. She's not a literal guitar mon- I mean, she's she not, doesn't I, only play monster. Guitars. I don't know. I talked to her on the phone, so I cannot speak to her <laughs> being or not being a monster. Yeah. But but she definitely can play the guitar like a monster <laughs> in a monstrous in the, way, in the fashion of a of a monster. <laughs> yeah, a monsterly manner. So stay tuned for that. Uh, coming up later, we're gonna we're gonna do a little summer edition of recommends. It's gonna be a little different. Hmm. So so you know, if if neither Jonathan Martin nor Marnie Stern keeps you <laughs> plugged in. Wondering what in the world we're going to do to recommends uh, is reason to stay tuned. I'm curious. All right. I have to yeah. jettison my plans. <laughs> yeah. But up first, your entertainment releases. You know, we're in the thick of the summer movie season. I would say thick of the humidity, but yeah, summer movie season. Well, in yeah. Florida, hum- we are in the yeah. humidity. Yeah. Uh, music coming out on Tuesday, June 4th. Camera Obscura oh, is yeah. coming out with Desire Lines. Ooh. Sounds kind of sultry. I believe we all have those. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't cross them. Just don't yeah, cross no, the design lines. lines. Don't cross. It was great. That's great. You should, were you a youth men major? <laughs> yes, I was. I went to be a youth pastor for liars. Right. <laughs> I don't believe you. You, did, you, you, you led a youth a youth ministry. You had a, a series called Desire Lines. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and the, the big crux, the big reveal at the end of it was, okay, kids, don't, don't cross, cross, cross your yeah. You give all the you give all the boys a blue pipe cleaner, and all the girls a pink one. And those are their desire lines. And then for uh, and the then whole, they, they for make the, them into inappropriate shapes for the whole I was summer. Say that you make them wear them as promise rings. <laughs> <laughs> and then that whole summer camp, all yeah. seven days out there. Right? Yeah, you guys see why I'm producing podcasts now and not working with teenagers. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds great. <laughs> a lot of Chad's sermons end with him yelling in anger at the teenager. <laughs> Come no, on, don't do that with the pipe cleaners. <laughs> It's it's a purity ring, guys. <laughs> Put it on your finger. I'll call every one of your parents. I'll call right now. <laughs> Many sermons ended with a meltdown. <laughs> with him on the microphone calling yeah. parents. Threatening the and calling. Yeah. I just want to tell you what your son just did right now. I, I'm looking at him and a whole audience full of teenagers. Keep laughing, everyone. I'm calling your parents next. <laughs> got your parents on speaker but just hold them I, up to the I will mic. pull over this church van right now I, i'm doing it i'm pulling over right now trip to great adventure canceled we're going back to the church call your parents. <laughs> <laughs> he's canceled four trips to great adventure midway through the trip <laughs> that's coming up yeah that's coming out on uh, june 4th can't wait <laughs> city and color is coming out with the hurry and the harm the hurry and the harm uh, Rogue Wave, our old friends Rogue Wave, yeah. um, coming out with Nightingale. And Queens of the Stone Age, they're still making music. Finally. With uh, Light Clockwork. Can't wait. Movies coming out Friday, June 7th. So this is uh, post-Memorial Day weekend. Post trying to squeeze it in before Memorial Day weekend to be the first hit of the mm-hmm. summer. But we're way pre-July 4th weekend. So this is... This is like no man's land. This right? is the one where like they budgeted that there'd be a summer blockbuster. Somewhere along the production, they realized this wasn't what we were hoping it would be. Scale it back, but a we bit. were in too deep. We still yeah. got to put it out. Yeah, we can't hide it. Right, we can't throw it in there. You know, January fourteenth. Right, still summer, but we're we're just going to call a spade a spade. And it's stick it in early June. It's kind of like the podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's like when you realize that a date, this, you're not going to marry this girl. <laughs> but, you've ordered, but you've ordered appetizers. Yeah, so, you're, you're in this far. So you, you got to so at least see it through to <laughs> yeah. see it through dessert, at least. 
<laughs> but you're wearing a pipe cleaner on your ring but finger. So you know right. it's not going to go right. You know that there's yeah. a desire line you know, you're not going to cross. It's going to only go so far. <laughs> um, uh, so, so leading the pack... Uh, the internship, the Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson <laughs> travesty, looks horrible. It yeah. looks unbelievable. That's they can't even make a thirty-second commercial look funny. One. There are not thirty seconds of funny lines so, in this movie. So far, it appears that the only joke is that Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson don't know how to use a webcam. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, they're still what? being. We're still making fun of adults in this crazy new internet technology. Yeah, but when will adults learn? And the thing is, I really like. I know I don't really care if it hurts my movie criticism cred but i really like them that duo i think they're really both funny guys Uh like i said i don't i don't care if it (laughs) wedding crashers yeah you're right they've had their moments yeah they've had their moments owen wilson's been great in all the wes anderson movies true this just looks like a blatant attempt to get a new wedding crashers going that's what it feels like to me is yeah Mm -hmm. is another wedding crasher and you can't bottle that lightning also coming out the purge with ethan hawk yeah Kind of weird. Mm. Yeah, it's a little creepy. It's a little creepy. I don't think I'll be going to that one. And uh, much to do about nothing from director Joss Whedon. I am excited about much to do about nothing. It looks good. That, that I'll go see. It looks like it could be pretty good. I'll go see anything with Joss Whedon on it. Sure. I could. I could write my own little contract on that. So I always like him. It's the reason that, that anything Joss Whedon does, you'll see. Uh huh. Yeah, it's my own little. What's a life without principles? Uh. All right. So that'll do it for your entertainment releases. Stay tuned. Up next, slices. While the jukebox is playing, the lovers are dating, the waitress is waiting for a thing to explode, for a light to go on, for some sign to show her time is yet to come. She's counting the days until real life arrives. She's counting two, three, four, five. You're listening to Boy. Song is Waitress. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Toro y Moi with Never Matter. Never Matter. Okay, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? Okay, well, my slice is about the potential jumping of the shark of Kickstarter. Um, There were some recently a few really successful uh, Kickstarter campaigns done by high profile celebrities. That drew in a lot of money, but also some criticism. But there's also been some lesser-known Kickstarter campaign from celebrities uh, that haven't done so well. One of them is from the Mamet sisters. Uh, They're the daughters of the playwright David Mamet, uh, the screenwriter. Uh, One of them is on the show Girls. One of them is on the show Neighbors. So they're both relatively well-established actresses in in Hollywood and and are, are emerging sort of New York actors but it all, they also seem to lack a bit of self-awareness. They launched a Kickstarter campaign that, that I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of them, but it does point to a larger issue with Kickstarter in general. Uh, but it, honestly, the, the description of their Kickstarter campaign is like a Portlandia skit. Do you guys watch Portlandia? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so they want to raise $32,000 to make a music video for a band that they said they created just because they wanted to spend more time together. Uh, part of the description says, being in the entertainment industry has lesser known downsides, like being taken out of your town and your family lives in, in order to uh, live the demanding schedules that prevent attendance from family's functions. Mm. We are, despite our wonderful jobs at Girls and Neighbors, just sisters. 
So what kind of music are they making? It's a unique brand of folk via body percussion, banjo, and harmonies. Body percussion? I'm not familiar with that. Although I can guess. I got a good idea. Yeah. So far, uh, with, with just 10 days to go, uh, there's only been 10 backers to the campaign, and they've <laughs> only raised a few hundred dollars. But this campaign comes in light of uh, a recent campaign by Zach Braff to fund the new uh, Garden State right. sequel, which has raised, uh, at this point, over $3 million. And from fans of, Veron- of the TV show Veronica Mars, who've put in $5 million to see... Uh, a film version of their favorite TV show made. Now, in both those cases, those are being uh, raised awareness by relatively prominent actors, both of whom probably have the money to finance these projects themselves. And the issue with Kickstarter that a lot of people are bringing up is these individuals aren't investing into a product. They're simply giving their money away. So if I gave, let's say, $200 to Zach Braff or the Mammoth Sisters to go and pursue their creative passion, unlike uh, an investment system or or raising venture capital, I'm seeing no return. So there's a recent trend of celebrities using Kickstarter to basically ask fans for money that they already have, but don't want to use themselves to pursue creative projects. I think Kickstarter is a great tool, especially for tech innovation. And we've seen a lot of cool projects kind of get their start, like the Pebble Watch uh, is notable. There's been a handful where there actually is some return on the user end where they have access to, you know, in some cases like an SDK, like a software development kit for people to contribute mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a new application or they actually get a shipment of the product early. But now that celebrities are using it to raise money outside of a studio system, which they don't have to have any creative accountability to. It's kind of taking some of the, the grassroots appeal of Kickstarter away. I, I think, Jesse, you and I might have talked about this a little bit offline, but I, I think it's the, the precedent that we're setting here is this idea that you, shouldn't, you don't have to work hard at your art if you can get enough people interested in it to donate to it. I think a lot of the beauty of Kickstarter is how it's taken. Um, it gives a lot of artists who otherwise wouldn't have the ability to do what they want to do and, and find people who are interested. And I think that's really cool. But I also think uh, I, I heard a statement from Dave Grohl, the drummer for Foo Fighters and n- drummer for Nirvana, lead singer for Foo Fighters, who said that you know when he when they started out they they were really bad and and he didn't think he's like we wouldn't have gotten a Kickstarter nobody would have given us any money to make Nirvana when I started mm-hmm. out but but he did it anyway and they worked really really hard and eventually they were able to get people's attention and and you don't want to sound old fashioned you don't want to resist if this is an exciting new innovation and this is the way art's going then then so be it i don't want to stand in the way of of what technology can do for art but i do think there's something to be said for bravery in art for taking that risk and just going out there regardless of whether or not you know you'll succeed and knowing it's going to involve a lot of risk uh, financially and otherwise on your part uh, if you really believe in it, if you really want to do it, then then you should. Yeah, and it's like with, with the Mammoth Sisters or with Zach Braff. If you believe so passionately in what you're doing that you're willing to make a video asking for just average people to to fund to fund it and give you money, give you their hard earned money. Why don't, why don't they have the skin in the game? Right. Why don't they just spend their own money? Because they don't need to. I mean, listen, it's investments. If you had the ability to, okay, let's say you're passionate about boats and you, you, you want to build a boat and you have the ability, 
if you had you know thirty grand in the bank and and it would cost you you know three thousand dollars to build your dream boat in your garage. And you sat there and you were like, okay, I could pay my $3,000 and just do this. Or my friends or people who know me and know that I want to take this project on are so excited about me building this boat and they want to see it. They're going to, they're just giving me money towards the boat. See, personally, I don't think I would do that. I think I'd be uncomfortable doing that. I don't know. I've used Kickstarter. To do what? I used it to fund a a play that that me and my friends, a stage, a stage play, the art of theater. Um, which was something that I did back before I came to to Relevant. I was pretty involved in. And we used it to raise, I believe it was $3,000. Overshot our goal a little bit, but it, it was something that we couldn't do. Like we didn't have enough money to fund that on right. our own. And that's what, it's and that's what really Kickstarter, meant for. Ideally, right. and ideally, that's what Kickstarter is meant for. I think the question is, and I know Chuck Klosterman wrote an article about this. Um, the question is, is it... it is it ethical? Like, at what point is it? And his his argument is, and I think he's right, is sure. Like you're saying, like, it's, sure. It's, I'm not, he's not forcing anybody not, to give him money. Saying. He's yeah, not charging. Stuff. He's not charging. He's literally saying, here's a project that I'm excited about. If you would like to be a part of it and support it, there's some interesting ways that you could take ownership and you would get, you know, exclusive things or limited edition stuff. It's like for the Uber fans of that person, I don't see anything wrong with it. And if you're offended by it or you don't want to do it, don't support those projects. Investors have always been part of of the artistic community, and that's and Kickstarter hasn't really changed that. I think what, well, two things. I think first of all, this has what Kickstarter is doing is it's removing a little bit of the personal investment that people have to make to create the things they want to create, and that can be fine because it can it might be too hard out there for some struggling artists or entrepreneurs to get what they want. So I appreciate what Kickstarter is doing there, and. What the Mammoth Sisters have proven is that Kickstarter isn't a magic bullet. Just because you start a Kickstarter doesn't mean that you're automatically going to get that your idea is sure. automatically going to get funded. Yeah. So in some ways, it's still showing that that it hasn't reached that it hasn't quite jumped the shark yet. Although I do think Zach Braff is, but but, but I think there's a difference too in from like giving people the ability to have an alternate route so that so they don't incur debt and they don't uh, you know get under uh, you know. That have the resources to do things that people, you know, are are willing to give money to see done, and, and it is used for a good purpose, and it being abused by people who who have means. That's not true, Zach. You just said abused. This. What what is Kickstarter fundamentally? It's pre sales. I mean, I buy, I fund a watch. I'm getting the watch when it comes out. I or fund an album. I've, an album. I fund this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get tickets to the movie. I'm going to see them. I'm going to get the DVD. I'm going to get some limited. I'm not. I'm not abusing anything. I'm pre-selling to my core fan base. You said abused because he's going outside the system and he has means. Listen, if you're Zach Braff, how much of a shelf life do you have as an employable actor? You know, whatever he's accrued or saved. Who are we to say that is enough, not enough, or too much? Not knowing the future of his career, his life, or what he does with his money. Maybe he's given a ton to Haiti relief, and he doesn't have the sort of means that we assume he has. We don't know. So to say that he's abusing is, I think, inappropriate, number one. Number two, if the fan base is there and want to be part of it, and they are actively supporting these endeavors, who are we to say that's wrong? Mm -hmm. The fans are enjoying it, and the people who are making it get to do so and have more freedom creatively without having to risk their personal uh, financial security. I don't have any problem with this. I don't know. See, I, I, I guess my issue is it it, it doesn't offer a, a return to the people who are are giving. Other than you know, 
an autographed photo or, you know, advanced tickets. You know, in the traditional, I feel like in a traditional system of funding, especially for something like a movie, there is creative accountability to make sure that, that the, the end product is at a certain quality standard because other people have invested and generally the, the, you know, the producers and people who are putting money in have, have some manner of skin in the game. It's not just people who have given sight unseen and, and don't have any control over the quality or the outcome of the product. Yeah, but you're talking like a one-off is the end result here. If, if, if Zach Braff goes and does this, people buy in and they're part of it, and it comes out poor or, or not what they want it to be, do you think that fan base that supported this one will support his next endeavor? No. So the accountability is there because if this works, I get to do it again. You know, so it's like, I, I don't think that there's a lack of a, I mean, we don't have investors. So quote unquote, we don't have producers or exec producers or whatever telling us what to do. We are Zach Braff making something independently for an audience that says they want it. And if we stop fulfilling our promise to that audience or do something that they don't think is worth their money, they stop supporting us. We go away. Zach Braff stops doing Kickstarters. To me, the accountability is absolutely there. It's just to the audience, not to a, a studio. And I think that's, well, that's great. Well, I, I think the only difference is, though, is that you know he he's he sees if he sees his customers as the the people that gave money to him, and you know he you know his mindset is they'll give money to me again if the movie's good. But he's also making money from actual customers who are paying to see the movie. He's making money twice in that equation. And that he didn't, he didn't put any of his own money in. But he gets all of the money that comes out, even though other people funded it for him. And I go back to, I go back to the idea of, I, I wish that there was some sort of, like, I don't, think, I don't think that Inception could have gotten kickstarted. If nobody knew who Christopher Nolan was, if it was just some guy with a great idea, a great script, and he had to sell people on his idea for a movie and, and a little minute-long teaser that he made himself. I don't think it's going to get funded because I think I don't think I don't like the idea that we're setting up the precedent that people have to be a lot of people have to be interested in, in your idea for an album or a movie before it even gets made. And that precedent I think is a little worrisome to me. If people want to do it, I don't have a problem with that. That's their prerogative. I'm just a little worried about what it means for the system or the industry as a whole. The other part of it, too, is is not just the aspect of getting it made, but what happens after that. I mean, Don Miller will tell you, you know, Kickstarter funded Blue Light Jazz to be made, but he needed a lot more money to go out and market the movie. And commercially, you could say that the movie was a flop. It didn't succeed. It didn't sell very well. And Don did literally lost his house on him. He talked about it, you know, a few weeks ago. Going into it, though, they were just going to be Kickstarter funded. Right. And it was like they True. got in so deep, True. Kickstarter money ran out. Yeah. And they had they were scrambling for money. And that's when they started leveraging their own stuff. Sure, sure. But, yeah. But, you know, I mean, the bands that, that then have to go out and tour and support themselves. Like, you can support a band. You can give them 40 grand to go make an album so that they don't have to recoup the cost of the record label and things like that. But then they still have to go out and they have to tour the album. They have to support themselves. Um so it's, I think it's more than even just getting a project or a product made necessarily. Yeah, well, it's like the it's like with the example that Tyler gave with what Dave, you know, Dave Grohl had said. A band like as as culturally prolific as Nirvana wouldn't have worked in the Kickstarter uh, Kickstarter era. And do do we risk losing that 
if this becomes the model of all fu- of funding for all future art. No, it becomes a model for funding of some future art. I mean, then if it doesn't work for Nirvana, it doesn't work for Nirvana. It doesn't work for portrait artists. It doesn't work for so many other types of art. I mean, it's like it's just yet another means. Some are, uh, bands will, will, will hit the road. Some bands will put it out digitally online and not make a dime. Or, or like rappers, they'll just put up mixtapes and then they'll get cred. And the, I mean, there's a million ways that it's not all. It's not all or nothing. Like Kickstarter is not the future or nothing else. It is just yet another way for some people who have put in work to get you know, uh, either an audience in place or people who have a groundbreaking, truly groundbreaking idea you know, to, to, to find funding outside of traditional means because it's an ability for somebody who, who couldn't walk into a bank and qualify for a traditional business loan to, to find just another option for revenue. That's fantastic. Like somehow something is really, really wrong with all this, but I can't put my finger on it. No, I'm just saying it, it draws into question the credibility of Kickstarter campaigns when it isn't just for people who can't find uh, funding through traditional or, or other means. I disagree because I think th- th- this will just be something that the wheat separates itself from the chaff. This is just, you know, like because some stuff was successful getting funded, you know, now a lot of people are going to try and get funded. And the reality is, is uh, the dust gonna, the dust will settle. At I some mean, point. At some point, people will go, oh, okay, this is the stuff that's worked out well through Kickstarter. This hasn't. Or We're, they'll start demanding more. Like, let, that's me, what I'm let me hear part of the album before, yep. you know, right. and then I'll see I if I want I want more than commit. a movie ticket. Right. You know, and right. so like, so then the y- there's 10 projects. One of them for my $10, I get only a movie ticket. One of them I get to fly out and spend a day on the set. Mm-hmm. Guess which one's getting my 10 bucks? So like all of a sudden, this is just now Commerce 101 Supply and demand on one side, but competitive competition for f- the limited resources is on the other. So it's like this is good for the consumer because yeah. the give back will get better, and the ones who either put out a poor product or don't give back enough or whatever will not get funded. Mm-hmm. And so this is just good competitive. I mean, the the problem is, I guess we're just at the first wave of it, and those haven't kind of like happened yet yeah you know and so, so we don't, you do have movie stars putting out 30 trying to get thirty five thousand dollars to make a stupid music video right like, there right, is that stuff. right but that stuff will fall by the wayside sure. and i do think there will be a place for the zach braffs of the world that have like or veronica marzes of the world that have hardcore fans that the studios have ignored yeah to fund projects that those fans want the comic con crowd those t- people, this is an outlet for them to do what they want, even though it's not mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, then you're going to get the independent artists who have, you know, through years built up ba- fan bases to, to, to I want a new album, John Mark McMillan or sure. Kai Kai, mm-hmm. sure. great. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have innovators, tech innovators, inventors, people who don't have a business training, but they have a brilliant idea and with resources could go get it made. I think those are going to be the three things that you're going to see really, really cement in Kickstarter. And then when you have like this, the the Comic Con, Zach Braff's, Veronica Mars ones, they're going to have to give value to their fan bases or else the fan bases won't support them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Again, we're at the very beginning of Kickstarter evolving. And so we don't know how to play out. And I guess that's scary, but yeah. I think it's... It's gonna. It can be a very good thing, and the reality is, is nobody's forcing people to give money. People are only gonna give money that they want to give. They're only gonna get burned once before they stop doing it, right? You know, and right. it's just gonna work itself out, right? Yeah, no, and I totally agree. It's not intrusive, and I'm, it, it, I like I said, it's just until the dust settles, and you know, like you're saying, the wheat is separated from the chaff. There is some stuff out there that that makes you question 
the validity validity of some projects. Like my Friday night dinner Kickstarter that I started. <laughs> I mean, guys, forty five dollars. I, there's I an Italian restaurant that I really want to have dinner at. I gave. Thank you. I care. The kickback is amazing, by the way. Can you afford that, that you can go with yeah, you? Yeah, do, you I get, do I get to come? Yeah. Yeah, right. what, what do I get as a backer? <laughs> <laughs> hey, so that, that coffee with uh, Tim Cook, uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook, got like $625,000 on eBay or on that charity <laughs> yeah, auction. I saw that. I, want, I wonder if we could Kickstarter like us going to dinner. Yeah. And, uh, and if you fund at a certain level... Like if you pick up the check, right. you can come with us. Yeah, yeah, and you oh, can give like your that. opinion like in this that. heated debate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll give you. Don't you want to be a part of this? We'll give you, you five <laughs> minutes of podcast time. Do you? Oh, I like that. But we, but we can interrupt. Oh, oh, that's of on course. the. Five, that's Absolutely. on your. That's on your own five minutes. <laughs> you can mute your line. <laughs> and we don't know how much you're actually going to be able to say in your five minutes. Yeah. right. And we can. We might edit it out altogether. Right. But it'll be worth it. It's a good it'll experience. Be worth it. sure. It's a good experience. Yeah, you'll probably be edited out. <laughs> you'll have the chance. You'll have the opportunity. Maybe not. We'll, we'll listen to it probably. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, you'll live on Chad's hard drive somewhere. <laughs> Temporarily. He <laughs> <laughs> needs more space. <laughs> um, all right. What do you have, Tyler? Well, I found a study. A certain fitness index took the top 50 most populated metropolitan areas in the country and rank them according to how fit and healthy they all are. Oh. And being sort of fitness, I don't want to say fitness icons in here, but, but, but some Tight. people might say how that. Much you work Titans out. of fitness. <laughs> how much do you work out? You, you, pu- I, you do push-ups twice a week? Oh, no more than that. And I jog a few oh, times a week. No. I've done <laughs> Wait, are we counting you, twice a week? The way you scoffed at that. <laughs> twice a week. <laughs> twice a week. Cameron, I don't want to... Who do you think I am? I don't want to die before I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been known to do a push-up or two in my time. Sure. I, so, sure. So, so I don't want to say... Are you doing push-ups right now? Tyler records a podcast while sitting on my back while I do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and then I give him a break while I'm on a little fitness ball. One of those. Right. You guys have right. no idea how much core strengthening is going on while this podcast is <laughs> <laughs> we all have phenomenal phenomenal core strength we all take turns sitting on each other's backs yeah well one does push-ups but it's but but to be honest it's right now we're all sitting on cameron's back while he does push-ups even jesse all the way out in Loverland, Meta- Virginia. metaphorically you guys metaphorically are. well and also sort of literally <laughs> sort of literally <laughs> um so the the american college of sports medicine did the study they did a used a number of factors such as how much smoking there's in these cities along with how much people exercise, obesity rates, chronic health problems, and access to health care, and also uh, just the general environment. And they rate the top 50 cities. And um, do you guys have any guesses? Shoot for the top. I mean, shoot for the top five. But I will tell you that the number one healthiest city in the United States has now Austin. been that, has now been number one three years in a row. Really? Austin, Austin Texas. I was going to say Portland. It's no. not Austin. Portland's number three. No way. Portland is number three. Because the biking? they bike all the Probably time. The bike. They ride, they so it's always raining. It's always yeah. dreary. You don't be outside. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of body percussionists up there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one. Which is very, which is... Uh, you burn a lot of calories. Fidicity would have to be warm weather city that has very bikeable, a lot of parks. San I'm going, Diego. I'm, I'm in the San Diego, Boston, or Austin zone. Well, Austin, Austin's number 11. Oh, wow. San Diego doesn't crack top 10. Wow. But for three years in a row, New York, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Really, Minneapolis, really? St. Paul is the is the fit two. They tie. I guess it's a twofer. Huh. But they come in, and I don't understand that. 
It's super cold up there, right? It is in the winter. Yeah, well, but horrible. the whole downtown is like a hamster cage with all the tunnels connecting the, That's true. the elevated tunnels you connecting just run the, the buildings. Cages. Yeah, you run so, like a so hamster cage. So you're saying like there are subway tunnels without without subway yeah. cars? Yeah, they're they're like elevated, and they're they're you know like these. It's an interconnected elevated walkway connecting all the buildings downtown Minneapolis because it's so cold all the time. You don't want to ever have to go outside. Uh-huh. So literally, the entire city is like one massive hamster cage, like those epic hamster cages that like. You fill a, a whole house, you know, yeah. like so. And I don't know if you know this, um, they give you a tax incentives if instead of a car, you just run inside a large plastic ball to work. Yeah, I actually uh, had, I was reading yeah. about that earlier. Yeah. I tried yeah. to get that going in Orlando. But yeah, the large plastic ball. Yet. The mayor will not see me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter how many times I roll up to his office in my plastic ball, nobody, <laughs> nobody lets me. Last can, time they called security <laughs> on me. And I can't fit through the door so much. So Minneapolis. So, yeah, many. You said the last Seriously, three years. They, they, they three really years. bad up there. They they That's like bratwurst and cheese. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was yeah, there. From listening to Prairie Home Companion, I get the idea that their diet is ninety percent sausage and porridge. But here's the thing, though. Uh, Minneapolis and all those—they're all Norwegians. It's like it's like it's Grand Rapids, genes. Michigan, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, they're all it's, Scandinavian, so they're all thin. It's in their DNA, they're all yeah, yeah. So it's not it's the not Nordics. Not think about think about Norwegians. They're out there doing their like snowshoes and their cross country skiing. They don't care that it's cold all and the time. And they ate like for thousands of years. They they. They were like cannibals. They just ate the, the, the people. people that they yeah, conquered. Yeah, yeah. They conquered. Yeah, they conquered. Salmon. <laughs> they just yeah. absorbed the strength of their enemies. Right. Very high protein. That's diets. it. So the people of so. Minneapolis, they are uh, cannibals that conquer. <laughs> are eating the residents of St. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where they get all their yeah. abnormal strength. Yeah. So it really it's, makes it's sense. It's a cycle. Yeah. For the last three years. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys didn't guess it, yeah. frankly. Yeah. After all. Who's number two? New York City? Number two is Washington, D.C. Another, okay, they got part another of dark horse candidate. They can of, run all over the Potomac. A lot of fat politicians there, though, too. Yeah, that's true. But if you go, if you go to DC, everywhere you go, there are people jogging. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. true. And you got to walk everywhere because you're walking up and down the mall. You're going from. Well, the residents don't like walk up and down the mall. Oh, I think they do. They probably do. <laughs> Based on the every study. day they go to the Smithsonian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, time for the Natural History Museum. It's nine a.m. <laughs> I wonder how that woolly mammoth is looking today. Just pop in on your way to work every day. <laughs> yeah. <You know, laughs> I'm going to real quick, I'm going to run a few hundred yards and take a peek at the Wright Brothers plane. I haven't seen it since yesterday. Uh, for I'm going to stop in the gift shop and get some astronaut food. Boom. For lunch. There you go. Uh, rounding out, then then it's kind of a mishmash. Rounding out the bottom. Any guesses what the, what the least healthy, the, fattest, the fiftiest of the fiftiest. Orlando. Biggest city. Orlando, we we made the lift. We're, we're I mean, number 35. Okay. So we could do better, guys. Right, so there's sure. 15 states that we are better than any city in that state. Yeah. And the other 35, there's just, okay. Whatever. So Some of the worst. Worst. So you're saying fattest, unhealthiest, least athletic. Like all, yeah, I'm all going. Told. I'm going in the, in the Alabama, Alabama, Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going Little Rock. <laughs> Little Rock. Just straight up Little Rock. <laughs> Not a region, just <laughs> Little Rock, literally. Louisiana. Yeah, the, the city of Little Rock, Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with Shreveport. Number 45 is Indianapolis. 46 is Memphis. Mm, 47 uh, is Louisville. 48 yeah, is yeah. San Antonio. 49 is Detroit. Oh. As if Detroit needed something Boy. else to worry about. They're Detroit has Robocop, so you think that would give them. Oh, like, and M&M. If you just average it out. They, they're, 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 they're running running from M&M. 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 Yeah. They, they love M&M's. They love the M&M's up there. <laughs> I've heard that. That's really why they're so fat. They, <laughs> M&M's are huge. All the M&M's. 
just giant dinner plate sized M&M's. <laughs> Everybody gets one a, a day. a fork and a knife. Like a basketball. Yeah. <laughs> and number 50 is Oklahoma City. Oh. Oklahoma uh, City. Too soon. Too soon. I know. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess that's it. You know, since we're down one, we only have two slices a week we, now. We had two. We had some very fun. long ones, though. Yeah, but yeah. We also we talked about the issues. The, the, the issues, issues of Zach Braff's big. personal wealth and him not risking it all. No, and, I'm talking and, the principle and, of Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> and I have nothing against Zach Braff does, or his does bank not, account. Jesse, what Zach Braff to be homeless? I think we all decided yes. It yeah. was it was the discussion about about hey, principle. If Don Miller can do it, Zach Braff can do it. That's you know right. That's, that's you know what? what? I, the truth's going to come out. I have something against both Don Miller and Zach Braff, <laughs> <laughs> and their personal wealth <laughs> and their homes. <laughs> All right, so uh, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Jonathan Martin. You can imagine how I hate this graceless Trying, but I'm going through the glass again Just come and find me God loves everybody, don't remind me I took the medicine Listen to The National. The song is Graceless. Jonathan Martin, uh, like we said, leads the Liars, Dreamers, and Misfits uh, for Novatus, a church for people under renovation in Charlotte, North Carolina. His new book, Prototype, uh, focuses on what it means to be beloved by God, to completely trust, as Jesus did, that God loves you, to live life without fear, confident in your identity and purpose, to handle life's wounds as Jesus did, and to wake every day with a deep awareness of God's presence. Martin reveals a startling truth at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is our prototype. And as we discover how the knowledge of being God's beloved changed everything for Jesus, how it set him free to live out his purpose and love God, others, and the world, it will begin to do the same for us. Our very own Stephanie Smith recently spoke to him. Here is Jonathan Martin. Where did this idea come from, and why did you decide to kind of start here with this? Well, you know, I really feel like in, in a lot of ways, Prototype has um, kind of summarized where I feel like I've, I've been headed personally for, for a number of years. I mean, there are, are a number of stories in the book that come out of our community at Renovatus, the church that we planted and that kind of thing. But I think um, several years ago, I just really got captivated by this idea that, um, and, and to be clear, for as much as I believe, of course, that we're supposed to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, that this idea that being a Christian is not just believing in Jesus, but in a sense, believing like Jesus, believing the same things that Jesus believed about God, believing the same things that he believed about his Father, and just seeing some ways where I feel like, you know, um, in evangelical circles especially, we tend to... Uh, I think sometimes de-emphasize or not know what to do with the humanity of Jesus. And I think because of that, sometimes then we lose what are some really clear access points for us to be able to live the same kind of life that he lived, because I think, you know, for us, a similar process is available. So I think that's what really captured me at first. Of 
course, the main idea is Jesus is our prototype. And I love what you say that really the biggest difference between Jesus and us is that he never forgot who he was, which is loved by God. So what would you say about the role of remembering in faith? Is that almost a spiritual discipline? I actually do think um, remembering is a is a spiritual discipline. You know, um, growing up in these very rural Pentecostal churches, the way that I did, there was such an emphasis on testimony, which you know sometimes could be a little redundant in the sense that you know people would share their personal story, but there was other things about it. I haven't thought about this in a long time. That were you know there was almost a template for it. You know, um, of when I got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, whatever. You know, it's again very like um, these very tent revival kind of environments that mm-hmm. that I knew so well. But you know what I think was sweet about it is that it was a way of of rehearsing the story over and over again, and you almost got the sense that it wasn't just for the sake of the people around them, but that you almost have to do that for yourself, you know, kind of rehearse the story over and over again. And um, I think there is a way in which that that's kind of a spiritual discipline or, or a practice. Um, it was an Henri Nouwen quote that I especially love, you know, where he says that one of the great tragedies of human existence is that we're always forgetting who we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, where things started to, to really shift was in seeing that the moment where the Father says to Jesus, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, really, to me, feels like the defining point of his life. And uh, I'm just fascinated that, that the Father says that over him before he faces temptation in the wilderness and before he proves himself to be obedient or faithful, so that it's like Jesus always has that memory to be able to draw from, that sense of identity declared by his Father to return to before he gets into situations where everyone else is going to be labeling him, sometimes you know, sometimes as Messiah, sometimes as much more horrible things. But before he even has to enter into the fray of all that, it's like he has this memory of the Father speaking into his belovedness right. that I think he returns to over and over again in ways that, you know, there are moments that I will glimpse my belovedness, but then immediately kind of go back out and forget it. So, so yeah, I, th- I think to remember, to and sometimes even to rehearse the story, um, to rehearse even what or the ways that God has spoken into our identity, I, I think really can be a, a spiritual practice. else I was thinking about in in terms of thinking of Jesus as our prototype there's some people who really struggle with the fact that Jesus was male and the kind of male dominant language of the son and the father which we see so much in scripture so what would you say to someone like that as they try to understand this this identity of who Christ was and who they are in light of that wow well that's a. I think it, at least, and because I feel like I have a lot of those conversations these days. I think I would say this first, um, which may not take the sting out for everybody. I mean, I understand, you know, in terms of the you know, language of father and son, it is very male. But sometimes I think that where people get hung up may often be actually, if I can say this right, I think it may be the kind of um, dominant sort of patriarchy that you get in our interpretations that may be um, more of a hang-up for people, you know, than the father-son language itself. Because I think like in the life of Jesus, and certainly in God in general, one of the things that's so beautiful about Jesus is that I feel like he models so much of what is um, 
both really good and beautiful about male and female. Not that he's like androgynous. I mean, I know he's you know he's, he is a man and all that. But for example, you get those beautiful texts like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and talking about how he wants to gather them. Yeah. Um, like like kind of like the chicks for the hen. I mean, right. I think you know you have those kind of images. So to me, one of the things that's very revolutionary about Jesus is that. He defies a lot of stereotypes, certainly what would be modern Western stereotypes of what it would mean um, to, to be male. And I certainly think that's in an overarching way true about God throughout Scripture. So I just always try to, uh, to tell people, first and foremost, you know, um, God, is, God is spirit. So while, you know, he's manifest as uh, the man Christ Jesus, and while, um, you know, we call God Father in the Scripture and all that, I really do believe that um, everything that's good and lovely about being male or female mm. originates in God mm-hmm. in a way that hopefully doesn't allow that to be something that would hinder us. Um, I just, again, I tend to think that the way that people now within the church will talk about those things in a very patriarchal way uh, might actually do a lot more injustice than the text themselves. Just going back to what you were saying about the importance of remembering in our faith, what are just some really down-to-earth ways we can do that and just kind of stay in that space of remembering who Jesus is and who we are? Hmm. Well, I think for me, and um, not only is this practical, I feel like it can almost be mundane, but I think at this point in my life in particular, I just have to get to, and I think this looks different, of course, for different people, but I just try to encourage folks that wherever it is that you're most able to sort of access your identity as a beloved son or beloved daughter of God. You know, I talk in the book a lot about these experiences I had when I was a kid riding my bike and how that became a kind of sacred space. I actually feel like for me now that getting to those places where I can just unclutter my brain and um, hear the voice of God is actually far more important. I want to frame that the right way, but even sometimes in some of the proper you know, spiritual disciplines. I mean, like for me, for example, I find that if I'm not getting enough time outside, then, you know, there's only so far I can go indoors in terms of remembering anything about my identity. I have to go back to certain kinds of places. For me, again, it often is riding my bike like I was when I was eight years old and where I feel like I first became acquainted with the presence of God. That's where I remember who I am. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes, you know, that really has to be contextualized in the sense of, okay, where are those places for me? Um, Where are those moments where I have most been able to, to really accept what God says about me. And, and, you know, if that is in church or in a church setting, that's great. But I know even for me as a pastor, the places that I go that kind of remind me and help me to remember who I am actually are not um, places that would be deemed sacred spaces in a, you know, kind of an ecclesial or, or church kind of way. So I just really encourage people to find those places or those activities in their life where, you know, they're able to kind of unclutter, where they're able to hear God's voice, um, especially the, you know, places that will kind of bring them back to those moments. That's what I think is, is most significant for me right now. That was Jonathan Martin. Make sure to check out the full interview at the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com.
You're listening to Wild Nothing. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're listening to Wild Nothing. I I, I dropped the G on wild, accident. Sorry wild about nothing. That. <laughs> wild nothing. Wild <laughs> nothing. Exactly how they sound. <laughs> yeah, they just came off an episode of Nashville. I think, I think we got it right. <laughs> I was thinking Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, you know. You know. Uh, wild nothing with a dancing shell. A dancing shell. So does that mean like you're in an emotional shell and you go dancing? to get out of it but you really can't get out of your dancing shell actually, or is it a literal shell like a jumping bean a shell that dances i think it's a shell station it's an m&m a, shell a giant a giant dancing so gas it's station. a shell station a mm-hmm. gas station that is closed down mm-hmm. and but the signs are still yeah, out there there's, there's nothing there it's but, so, wild, so that it's you know it's nothing. a shell but like it's a wild nothing now but you knew it was a shell and uh, the you know it's abandoned. It's probably up in Detroit. A lot of abandoned buildings. Mm, of the neighborhood people. kids, like in the movie Footloose, <laughs> decide that they just got to dance, right. but they have to do it secretly. Right. Yeah. So so, they, so on they Friday nights, go to, yeah. they go down to the dancing shell. They yeah. used to not, but then one one sort of roguish, rebellious yeah. <laughs> young teen showed up <laughs> and showed them all how it could be done. See, that's also where street gangs go to dance <laughs> in, as a manner of settling disputes. <laughs> Down at the dancing show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll see you at the dancing show. <laughs> this street is our block. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'll see you at the abandoned show just past midnight. Jack. Jack. <laughs> Getting pretty tough on oh, wow. the streets. <laughs> the, the, the Good fat, thing got RoboCop the, fa- the fat streets of Detroit. Um, <laughs> down at the dancing show. Uh, <laughs> I added I added down at the. Sorry. Down at the so dancing. it's Wild Nothing with a dancing show. Right. Um, at, from, from their new album, Empty Estate, which is also which probably is de- up in Detroit. Just like Detroit. 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 Yeah. 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 These are some of the healthiest citizens in Detroit. If they're able to, if they can dance out their problems, we applaud you. <laughs> setting a, setting a timber for that. Hopefully, the rest of Detroitians will will follow. All right, it's time for uh, recommends. Normally, in relevant recommends, uh, the, the the crew brings you know maybe an album, maybe maybe a movie, maybe a, a website, a TV show that we all want to recommend. The problem is the uh, TV not not really on right now. Books. Who we have a, we have a summer reading guide in our in our issue that just went to the printer, so we don't yeah. want to give any of those away. I don't, sure, I don't read. We want you to buy it. Yeah, yeah. read the Bible. Um, and uh, yeah, my recommendation for once in the Bible for once in your life. Uh, you know, albums coming out. You know, there've been some really good ones yeah, recently, we've and we've talked about them. So it's like it, it just got us thinking. We had a great run of albums there for yeah, a while. Yeah, we did. What, what, if, really yeah. Awesome. Yeah. what if we what if we just did a whole relevant recommends talking about movies, huh. summer uh, movies? Season. I love the That's movies. what we were thinking. Damn, so, I'm down. So okay, I'll movies. do it. All right, you, what do you got? What do you got, Tyler? What are you going to recommend? Well, the last the last movie I went to see in the theaters was that new Star Trek movie. J.J. Abrams' Star Trek Into Darkness. The, little, the indie flick. I, yeah. think, I think it was, it was funded through Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. I think Zach Braff got that funded. <laughs> it was, it was, <laughs> nearly lost his house in the deal. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me how. Wires got crossed in the back end. Bankers are still trying to figure it out. But he came home one day. It was all boarded up. Yeah, and yeah but it had nothing to do with the Kickstarter campaign. That, no. was, the, that was just was a tax issue. Yeah, a lot issue. of cross wires. Who knows? Who knows? Tax issue. Yeah. Are any of you guys in the, are you, are any of you guys like Star Trek people? Not you know what all. I mean when I say Star Trek. No, yeah, I'm not. I'm really not either. I wasn't really raised. I was, I was at the theater the night they were debuting it, and there was a line around the 
the building and there were people dressed in the paraphernalia. I, know. I was ashamed to be in the same city as those yeah. people. I beat them to death. Because yeah. <laughs> they're not going to get out of line. So you could right. go, yeah. right, you could go right up to them, punch them square in the mouth, and so walk wait, away. Wait, like wait, 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 wait. London guard. Wait, you, you, you're okay with people passionate enough to, to give to a movie, but you're not okay with them passionate enough to dress up on opening night? <laughs> Free country. <laughs> I didn't say because I when I donate to Kickstarter campaigns, when I do, I'll tell you this: I am dressed up as a Star Trek character. <laughs> yeah, I dressed up just like Don Miller for opening night of Blue Light. Jazz. I went to Zach Braff's house in Star Trek character. <laughs> Demanded he leave it. <laughs> I didn't say I wasn't okay with them doing it. He just said, "Are are you guys?" <laughs> Star Trek people, and and I was clarifying to the level that there are Star Trek people. Right, there's I a continuum. Am, yeah. I am yeah. not. I've probably seen uh, two episodes you, and two and just the last movie. Mm-hmm. You may only, hate what they stand for, but you'll defend to the death their right. To, <laughs> you may hate how they dress up, but you'll defend to the death their right to dress up like that. Sure. I, I was also caught in the Orlando and the Orlando Convention Center a few years ago. I was down there. Um, there was there was a. Uh, our, we have a very large convention center, and, sure. and and so there's a lot of large events happening at the same time. And the lobby that I walked into happened to be this massive atrium that connected three different convention halls. And in wow. and in the and in the three halls were three very distinct events. One was a high school cheerleading competition. Right. One was a boat show, which was the reason I was there. Sure. And then one was one Were you was, dressed up like a boat. <laughs> one was I was I had, in a boat costume. I had my captain's hat on. My, my pirate. And, and, and my pirate. And a life vest and a pipe. And, <laughs> <laughs> there, you, you look like you dress up like one of the guys from Deadliest Catch. And, and uh, like a weathered rain and a little suit. a little macaw. And the third happening the same day, the third event was the Orlando Comic Con. Really? And they all shared the same lobby. Lots High school cheerleaders dressed in their outfits. Comic Con people dressed in their outfits and rich people going to the boat show. Man, I, there was a slice of humanity. Awesome. I sat there in the lobby and people watched for a solid oh, hour. That is, a, that is better a than the airport. Keg. That's the haves and the have-nots of this country. <laughs> <laughs> all, all put together. And the, and the parents sheltering the the, the their fourteen-year-old cheerleading daughters yeah. from the weirdo Comic Con people. <laughs> from the guys armed with swords, <laughs> threatening a boat owner with Wolverine claws. <laughs> Probably some sort of firearms in there. Yeah. Oh, man. It was a Threatening the boat owners who are laughing at yeah. it. I mean, I wish they, somebody would made just like an indie flick movie about yeah. that lobby. We could. Oh, yeah. Like, like Mall Rats or something. Get a Kickstarter going. Like, how, how could we fund such a thing? <laughs> I don't want to lose my house. There's no way to fund. We couldn't possibly. I, fund. Say, we, I say we sell Zach Braff's house. <laughs> 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 Without telling him, <laughs> we just list it. <laughs> what are you saying? Actually, you just said something. Oh, I, I've I've sold houses before. You know my houses. When yeah. I listed them, I never. I mean, I had to sign something with a real estate agent or a website or whatever. But I I never had to prove. 
that I was the owner. So you're saying it's conceivable to, so sell, so to sell someone's house you've online. Gone, you've gone from defending Zach Braff's right to not be homeless <laughs> no. to saying we can maybe fund our, our comic con slash cheerleader movie who, by okay, selling Who would play house. the roles in the movie? Who who would you have as the boatsman? The comic book three guy people. and the No, it's not three people. It's one of these character ones like, like um, you know, like those terrible movies like Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve or whatever. Yeah, you need where it's a, a bunch of interwoven storylines. Studded. You need a yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a hall it's, of stars. A t- it's an ensemble. It's a, but it's an yeah. indie flick ensemble. You yeah. know. Oh, like the yeah. It's got to have the indie flick aesthetic because there's just too rich a, a yeah, material. It w- a conventional. Yeah, it couldn't be done conventional. So Christopher Walken would be one of the boatmen. I would assume. After that, I get a little lost. I'm going to go with Christy Alley for uh, cheerleader <laughs> coach. Yeah, yeah. Per- coach. Oh, I, Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like a dance mom type or, of thing. Or, or like Christian Chinoweth. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. She could do yeah. that. True. We might, a, we might need to come back to this. Yeah, we might. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, 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 so to answer your question, I, I'm no. feeling a question of the week. No, we're not Star Trek people. <laughs> right, all right. Question. We're not Star Trek people. Not but we, like the people I saw in that lobby. But, but we all know. Well, when I, I went there, I mean, this was an opening day. I, I saw it a few days after it came out, and there were still plenty of costumes <laughs> in the in the theater seats. I assume it's the yellow, that, that yellow sort of V-neck, long-sleeved, they're hard to come by. <laughs> you have to really want to be a Star Trek person. Um, but, I, but I really liked that last movie that J.J. Abrams directed. That yeah. was a really great movie. Yeah, so, I, so I was on the verge of becoming a Star Trek movie. And he, a Star Trek person, excuse me. And I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little against the grain and say the second one was, was good, but it didn't, I, I wanted to be blown away. And the first one really blew me away. And this one, I felt like the stakes just kept on decreasing throughout the movie huh. without giving anything away. I, I felt like it just kind of... Yeah, I feel like Benedict Cumberbatch was was really really great. I, I, I love watching him at work, and and really the cast was all really good in the movie or just at work. Like if he's like when you're Cumber- like spying at him doing his taxes. When I see when I see Benedict Ben, uh, you call him Ben to friends. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody else do that. Uh, we get along well. Yeah. So so yeah, I was I was surprised and excited that he that he had this opportunity. I think he did a good job with it. But overall, the mo- I wanted a little more from my Star Trek movie. But maybe Star Trek people out there can can prove me wrong. Maybe they can say that. Yeah, maybe this is just proof you're not a Star Trek. Maybe person. I didn't get it. Maybe I missed something. Interesting. I'm not great at what I do. Well, the last movie I saw, and I did dress up for this as well, was Fast and Furious Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We saw it opening night. Oh, you guys went together, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah. I said to myself, I, if I'm going to see this movie, yeah. I have to take someone with me who understands this <laughs> yeah, culture. Understands the culture. I, I was, because I, was I have only seen one and two. I was not about to go in there on my own. And, the, and, and really, it's only escalated. So one and two just, you know... You know, didn't come. They just kind of set the stage. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's the beautiful thing about the, the Fast and Furious is, is that when they kept making them, it wasn't stars. The cars were the stars, sure. right? Yeah. So they, so they didn't really connect the storylines at all. Uh, they didn't know that they'd keep going, so they just kept going with like cheap actors in mm-hmm. a different setting mm-hmm. and different country and all this kind of yeah. stuff. But then they were like, hey, we might be onto something. So with the last one, they kind of like brought them back together. And this one, they did the same thing. So now they're banking on, you know, like stars from each of the, each of the ones up, leading up to it. So you knew, here's the type of night we knew we were in for. <laughs> so there's a scene to start off the movie. And then like the, the opening, what do they call that? The title, title sequence, like the title title sequence. sequence yeah. starts, yeah. right? And the title sequence is, is showing scenes 
from each of the five movies oh. up to this point. It's not like telling you a narrative or anything, but just kind of like flashing back and and just remember and re- re- you're seeing yeah. a Fast and Furious movie, <laughs> right. remembering you know this character from this movie. This character was into this character, you know, whatever. And the movie, you know, the music's going, it's hip hop, and it's you know whatever, and it leads up, and then <laughs> Fast Six. The crowd starts cheering, literally standing clapping up and cheering, and not just like like clapping, but like like waving like their towels, like Woo-hoo! yeah, like yeah. hooting and hollering. You know this how is, people at the end of a movie sometimes yeah. clap. Yeah. This happened. I've never seen it in the title sequence. Okay, and, and it was done non-ironically. No, oh, well. No. Well, yeah, I don't Cameron, know. And Cameron and I were. But. At that less. point, the line between sincerity and irony totally blurs. <laughs> so I had seen, like when we saw Gatsby and other things, I hadn't, I hadn't read any reviews because I was going to see it anyway. I don't care. And um, apparently, like afterwards, people are telling me, like, I'm shocked at like, how high the reviews were. And, those, and like apparently it's like really, you it's know, was good, good well yeah. reviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. For what it is, is it is, it is a magnificent manifestation of of what it intends to be. It is adrenaline cranked to 11, hip-hop cranked to 11, mm-hmm. cars cranked to 11, plot is secondary, acting is secondary, special effects cranked to 11. Script it is, is secondary. Yeah. Third, it, none of that third, matters. Yeah. None of that matters. The experience is cranked wow. to 11. Uh, it doesn't see, stop. It does see, not stop. I, I've seen I've seen some people, and I don't even know if they've actually seen the movie. It's just the idea of a sixth Fast and, Fast and Furious movie, like talking disparagingly about it, right. or you know, it's like if you can't enjoy something that awesome just for what it is, right? I, I feel bad. Right. You know, it's like, look, it, it's Fast and Furious. It's Vin Diesel and The Rock. Yeah, right. you know, you kinda, it knows what it is, yeah, and exactly. if it's trying to be awesome, and they are awesome. My wife texted me early in the day. She's like, "What movie are you going to go see tonight?" I was like, "I think we're going to see Fast and Furious 6. And she's like, "Oh, well, <laughs> have fun," you know, because that's not really the, typically the kind of movie I go to. Right. I came home that night, and she Driving was sitting so fast. Oh yeah, Vespa. I, my Vespa was just flying <laughs> around <laughs> corners, and, stuff. and I like you're like you're, you're next to like a Mustang at a yeah. stoplight, and I'm just revving, revving the engine. engine. But I roll into the place and she's like so how was the movie and i was amped i I was like pacing around and i was just like oh my gosh and then this happened and then like he jumps out of the tank and he's flying across the highway and she looks at me with this face like who are (laughs) you know where's the man that i'm (laughs) (laughs) i was like man you don't understand this was one of the most epic movies that i've ever seen and i don't even know why i liked it i know but it was awesome and i want to go see it again tokyo drift i i i saw one i didn't see two i ended up seeing tokyo drift with some friends and it was really fun but i ended up seeing it three times in theater not because i wanted to but because i was with different friends different weekends and, and, it was and just arguably like, tokyo drift is like the weakest in the series well it, it taught me how to drift i mean <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jesse. well i wasn't factoring the drifting right? yeah. so <laughs> do they do they have like a step-by-step well yeah they, 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 they had to teach them? somebody how to drift and so, like, if I'm taking you. notes, yeah, you're I'm taking notes. Okay. Anyway, so after you see three, three times in the theater, I don't know, it seeps into you. And this is like the movie that is so opposite everything that I like about movies. Like, Maya hates seeing any movies. I hate seeing movies that you have to suspend reality or logic to enjoy. Sure. And, she and you probably those. appreciate some subtlety in movies. As yeah, well. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I like funny comedies and stuff, but I mean, as far as like dramas or I don't, I'm not an action movie guy. Anyway. For some reason, I love these movies, and they're so over the top. It's like, 
you just go in there and smile the whole time. But the thing you have to do is you cannot see it on a matinee by yourself. Oh, no. No, you have no. to go, go on a night where it's packed. Full crowd of people. Especially the so people I've who are going to my... go out of their way to go opening oh, night. Man. No, it's the number one movie in America. I'm st- oh, yeah. Friday night, it'll still be full. That's like, I one of my, I know somebody who went opening night when Snakes on a Plane came out. <laughs> 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 and when <clears throat> Samuel L. Jackson uttered his infamous line right. uh, that I cannot repeat. He said the place went nuts. He said one guy took off his shirt, <laughs> spinning it over his head, and started running up and down the aisles. <laughs> okay, imagine an entire theater of people essentially doing that. What that yeah. one guy just yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. That's the Fast and Furious crowd for opening night. Man, it was. Man, I read somewhere that Fast Five pulled in like eighty-five or eighty-six million opening weekend. Fast Six. 314 million. No! Yeah, it, it made an insane amount of money. Well, they're already shooting seven for next summer. Right. Well, the, the, uh, what's his, Vin Diesel said that they're planning on making at least three more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That means, that means we, we, we are having, you know, we, we're living in an era where there's at least 15 consecutive <laughs> years of Fast and Furious movies. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, that'll be good. That'll be good because, uh, like, somebody, like, I, I think I tweeted a picture of my movies. Uh, ticket and uh, Derek Webb replied uh, to the, oh it's on Instagram he replied and he goes is this like the longest running franchise ever and I'm like and I was thinking about it and I go well I think Police Academy has a beat right now but that yeah, means if they're won't. doing at least three more they're going to usurp Police yeah, Academy yeah. and go in the record books yeah. 300 million I yeah no 314 idea. million worldwide <laughs> opening weekend oh and this is our largest cultural export is the Fast it's and Furious the culture. impact it's that America a, has uh, had yeah. culturally on the world is you know, pretty much half of it is Fast and Furious movies. Wow. Well, uh, this is running a little long, so we're basically recommending a mediocre Star Trek and an over-the-top insane Fast and Furious <laughs> 6. <laughs> That'll do it for Relevant Recommends. Stay tuned. Up next, Marnie Stern. I was holding candles to my light. We were setting fire to my You're listening to Levi Weaver. The song is Talk Me Down. Talk Me Down. Marnie Stern is a singer, songwriter, and guitarist from NYC. Uh, she's garnered acclaim for her technical skill and tapping style of guitar play, uh, leaving little doubt that she lives up to her reputation as the lady who shreds. After putting out three critically acclaimed albums, Marnie uh, could have gotten away with putting out another album filled with her richly layered sound, singular frenetic finger tapping, and almost philosophical lyrics. However, as anyone who's given her last few albums a good listen can tell, Marnie is not one to stand still. Instead, she attacks her musical evolution with full frontal bravado, reveling in musical risk instead of relaxing in the comforts of the known. For Marnie, musical possibility drives her ambition. Her new album, The Chronicles of Marnia, was uh, released this last spring. You can read more about Marnie in the current issue of, oh, I don't know, Relevant Magazine. Her very own Tyler Huckabee recently spoke to her. Here is Marnie Stern. Marnie Stern. 
when did you like feel like you came into your sound like this is what I want to make this is the kind of music that I want to that I want to be known for I think it kind of coincided with when the first record came out in 2007 so I'd say I started feeling comfortable around 2005 or 2006 and feeling really itchy like I want people to hear this I want people to hear this I mean I had been doing it for years before that but I didn't I hadn't really found my sound You get plenty of attention for for playing guitar, and you do it really well. Do you like being don't known as like the guitar girl, like the girl who's really good with guitar? I uh, I don't mind it anymore. I mean, for a while, I had a really hard time with it just because I didn't feel like it was deserved. You know, mm-hmm. even though on the other hand, looking back, I did sort of count myself as the guitar playing girl. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I think part of me, I do feel like I play pretty well, but I don't feel some of the accolades are, I think, not accurate. You know what I mean? Uh, I think I play pretty well, but I don't think I'm this terrific guitar player. Um, I'm just trying to put together, I mean, I basically have said the same thing always, which is I'm just trying to put together interesting parts of songs for guitar, for voice, for the whole arrangements, for everything, just something that comes from me and um, is just a jumble of my influences and my personality. Do you see your style like changing much? Like, if you could, you're gonna keep recording in the future. Like, is there a place that you'd like to that you'd like to get to, either with your guitar playing or your songwriting, that you don't feel like you're at right now? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Of course, that's the whole thing. I want to grow. Um, yeah, there's all different types of. I can't describe them, but there are types of sounds that I hear that I would like to be able to play. Um, I'd like to rely less on this formula that I've done and become known for of like tapping I want to get away from a more formulaic thing but there's Mm -hmm. it's not that everything's been done it hasn't but when you get it in your head that idea that's sort of limiting Mm -hmm. I would be like to be able to sit down for a a bunch of years and just go back to basics of just playing all the time but it becomes a weird thing when 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 it becomes more of a career type thing you're touring all the time and then when it comes down to sit down and write you're in a time frame where you want to get it done and then I'll spend a couple weeks just playing guitar and then feel guilty that I'm not songwriting 
stuff like that where, yeah, if it were up to me, which I guess I could do this at any point, is would be just to sit and play guitar for like a year straight to try and have that part of part evolve because I feel like songwriting I've evolved, but guitar style I don't really know if it's evolved. It's kind of just stayed the same for a really long period of time. you say that it's like that your style is mostly just based on your personality how do you see yourself and how do you see your music and where do those two like intersect uh well there's not much separation um between who i am and how i am and what the i don't think you know what though i mean with the exception of titles i guess uh I'm a little more goofy, and that doesn't, I don't know if that comes, I guess maybe that's a strange comes across, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm casual as a person, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if that comes out, but from for a long time, I've just been trying to dig out the most authentic part of myself, um, no matter how comfortable or uncomfortable it made me. Uh, so, so I don't put a I don't, I don't even know what, 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 what the stuff sounds like anymore. I just, uh, I mean, I'm judgmental with myself, but mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to do what I think sounds good. That was Marnie Stern. Make sure to check out the Chronicles of Marnia and find out more at marniestern.net. You're listening to Alpine. The song is Hands. The album A is for Alpine. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Uh, Last week, we asked you if your summer was a movie co-starring Suzanne Summers, what would the name of the movie be? And also, what would the name of your tagline be? You guys went over to the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. You guys uh, also tweeted us at Relevant Podcast, and you posted on our Facebook page. Here are a few of our favorite replies. Well, David Michael Moore had a nice run on the podcast page, and, and he has a few, but I think my favorite one is Cowboys and Aliens and Suzanne Summers. <laughs> I like it. What's the tagline? The tagline is, tagline I don't get, come and knock on our door. Is there a reference to that? Company. Like, come and from knock on our door. Oh, We've oh. been waiting for you. And there it is. Well, <laughs> Curtis Hayden on the... Uh, podcast episode page <laughs> he said the title of this film would be <laughs> i'm sorry these are just too much uh the title of this film would be called poisoning the well the tagline is sometimes waters thicker than blood 
Oh, he has good. a brief description. That's <laughs> Summer Glue and Summer Sanders play sisters and investigate journalists who find themselves trapped in a web of lies and conspiracy when they discover just why the government insists on adding, adding fluoride to the drinking. <laughs> this conspiracy goes all the way to the top of the city and the city's mayor and the duo's mom, played by Suzanne Summers, will do whatever it takes, even kill <laughs> To keep the truth from getting out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> David McDowell hit us up on Twitter at Living Justified is his Twitter handle, and uh, he did all this in 140 characters. Well done, David. His movie call is called Thigh in the Sky. Thigh <laughs> in the Sky. Starring nice. Suzanne Summers nice. as a flight attendant that fights crime. Tagline: The thigh's the limit. <laughs> Not bad. Well Not played. Bad. <laughs> David Michael Moore had another one. Some, it's S-O-M, as in uh, Summers. Some of all fears. You cannot <laughs> run. You cannot hide. Knock, knock. Who is it? Fluoride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Zenga, our, uh, our, our, our man with, uh, with the Photoshop, put together a really wonderful... A movie poster for 500 Days of Summer. Ah, S-O-M-E-R. I see what he did there. Yeah, that's yeah. really that's, yeah, that's it's a, He made a t-shirt out of it. It's a good one. Uh, Douglas Ogden, at Douglas Ogden on Twitter said, the movie is, there are many kung fu masters, but there's only one thigh master. The true story of hip-hop producer Suzanne Summers. <laughs> thigh master? You guys, you guys ran with a thigh master. Yeah, really. But it's, well, it's easy. <laughs> Just Kevin says that his movie title is called Red Hot Heat. (laughs) The tagline tagline for Red Hot Heat is summer is just too hot for war. (laughs) Suzanne Summer, who is portraying herself in the film, (laughs) is on a mission to convince a local populace of the dangers of water fluoridation. Uh, while there, uh, she's in another country. An international incident ensues, and the president has to dispatch an elite troop of soldiers to extract her. <laughs> and he, he leaves it with, I have said too much. Well, if you want to chime in or add your own, uh, head over to the last week's podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com, or uh, I guess you could look at the uh, Facebook page as well. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. Okay, well, well, earlier, you know, I I, I mentioned my uh, well, as I was trying to get to the boat show. Sounds like quite an adventure. I found myself in the lobby of lobbies, where a high school cheerleading competition, Comic Con, and boat show audiences crowds were converging. Shared atrium. Um, I sat down and just watched. And thought, somebody needs to make an indie flick about this. Well, we want you to help us do that. Uh, We know last week we asked you for taglines and movie names and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It's summer movie season. Sue us. We're doing... Yeah. Make a note of this when you send your lawyer to us to sue us. Yeah, make a note of this when you ask for your refund. So we want... You know, we're going to do back-to-back movie question of the weeks. We We want your help making this movie. We need a name. We need a cast. We need to know plot lines because... Again, I think it's these like it's almost like what is that movie? Uh, is it Magnolia? Where it's like the following the stories yeah. of, of different people and yeah. they only intertwine at the very end. Mm-hmm. That's what that lobby is. Is the moment that they intersect. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like we need a Magnolia esque plot line. 
Yeah. We need to know See, I'm, I'm almost picturing like a breakfast club thing oh, okay. where they're all like stuck in the lobby together or something. Interesting. I'd kind of like to get feedback too on like if we're going to have Kickstarter, you know, fund this movie, what are some good prizes? For uh, you know, <laughs> for contributors. the for your investment, yeah. not that you necessarily get any, right? But what are you know, if you invest hundred thousand dollars, what's the return? <laughs> hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, yeah, we have. I'd cast you. I'd cast you if you want to. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you will <laughs> have a brief you're in, you're in cameo the in the yeah, film. Yeah. That is not guaranteed to be in the final. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can come out. And we'll turn on the camera. <laughs> you get a night in Zach Braff's house. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we we need your help uh, uh, conceiving of said movie, the atrium, what the lobby. Do, the, do we need a title? We need a tagline. We need a cast. I mean, we a need a work. poster. There's we a need lot of work on marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah, a Kickstarter yeah. trailer video. We need this. In, I mean, what's oh. <laughs> Maybe a demographic. Like the convention. You, Is that the, yeah. convention? the convention? Call it that. The yeah, convention. Sounds, sounds or how about good. how about this? Non-conventional. <laughs> Yeah, so there's yeah, lots of yeah, options out there. Yeah, no yeah. bad idea when you're brainstorming, I guess. You know? <laughs> lots of th- yeah, yeah, no bad ideas. This yeah, is just the... Yeah, we're just throwing noodles on the wall, see which yeah, one stick. Yeah, no, what's some other ideas? <laughs> hurry, hurry. <laughs> Let's not get stuck in one train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> I think we landed on the convention. I think that's where we landed. <laughs> uh, oh, man. No bad ideas, but what's something else? <laughs> <laughs> no bad ideas, but we're not really thinking along those lines, so... <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. What's come on, guys? <laughs> uh, all right, so um, warmer. Right. Head over to the <laughs> podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com and post your replies right there in the comments. Hit us up on Twitter, although there's not a whole lot of characters for the amount of content we need from you. That'd be a lot of tweets. Yeah, you can, or you yeah. can go over. Yeah, a string of tweets, or you can head over to our uh, relevant podcast Facebook page. You might need to send us a proposal just straight up go, and, and go you know the, what go the whole thing we'll get it in zach braff's hands yeah <laughs> we'll, i'll personally deliver it to his house <laughs> as i as i'm issuing the forged foreclosure papers <laughs> <laughs> mr. mr braff i'm gonna need you to exit the premises also would you mind looking at this script I've got a working title it's called unconventional <laughs> No, that's non negotiable. We're keeping the title. So. <laughs> All right. So there you go. Um, well, many thanks to Jonathan Martin for talking to us. Check out his new book, Prototype, wherever books are sold. And you can uh, find out more online at pastorjonathanmartin.com or follow him on Twitter at Renovatus Pastor. That's R E N O V A T U S Pastor. Also, thanks to Marnie Stern for talking to us. Make sure to check out her new album, The Chronicles of Marnia. It's really great and interesting album. It's fun. It's it's, it's uh, fun. I mean, it's weird, but it's that, fun. Well, that's why I said interesting. I didn't yeah. want to say the word weird. It's interesting. It is interesting. It's unconventional. <laughs> <laughs> She's also doing the soundtrack for our new movie. Um, check it check it out. Uh, MarnieStern.net and follow her on Twitter at Marnie Stern. Well, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. For Chad Michael Snavely, we'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Go follow us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast. And for more great content, check out relevantmagazine.com. I'll see you at the abandoned shell just past midnight, Jack.